This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. This is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. But I started to extend the walls of my practice back almost six years ago with the Self Work podcast because I wanted to reach those of you who might already be very interested and educated about psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy. To those of you who've just been diagnosed and perhaps you're looking for answers, but also to a third group of you, those of you who might be a little cynical about therapy or seeking help, but I'm hoping that self-work would give you an idea of what it might be like to talk to a mental health clinician. This podcast isn't therapy and it shouldn't be confused as such, but it is an example of one mental health clinician researching and talking about different topics that I hope are interesting to you. I think there's one feeling that does more damage than any other. But interestingly enough, if you search for damaging emotions, it's not even listed. The ones that are are anger, fear, resentment, frustration, and anxiety. They're called negative emotional states. So what's the emotion I'm talking about? Shame. And how is shame defined? Here's the description. Shame describes feelings of inadequacy created by internalized negative beliefs about oneself. Personal insecurities, secrets, mistakes, and perceived flaws can all trigger shame responses, causing people to become extremely self-conscious, self-critical, and embarrassed. So today, we're going to focus on the shame that you may carry around that doesn't belong to you. The listener voicemail is from someone who's been diagnosed with bipolar 1, bipolar 2, and then borderline personality disorder, and he's become overly reclusive. But it sounds as if his biggest impediment to becoming more successful professionally and personally is his tendency to take what others say too personally and building a wall of resentment toward them, which is self-sabotaging to the work. At the same time, he has friends and family who are supportive. So what's going wrong and what can he do about it? So please come with me today in this episode sponsored by Athletic Greens or AG1 as we discuss 10 sources of shame and the first steps that you can do. Shame. People often come into therapy saying things like, I'm afraid I'm wasting your time, or I don't know why I can't pull myself together, or if I believed in God enough, I wouldn't be here, but because I am, I have failed in my faith. I know without a doubt I'm listening to shame talking. Let's hear the definition again that we described in the intro. Shame describes feelings of inadequacy created by internalized negative beliefs about oneself. What are internalized negative beliefs? They are the voices you hear in your head that are highly critical of you, that tell you your mistakes make you unlovable or not valuable, and those aspects of yourself that aren't in control or perfect need to be hidden or disguised. Guilt is different. It's when you feel remorse for a mistake you made or a hurt you recognize that you caused. But shame? Shame is when you believe that you're a terrible person because you did something you regret. It's no longer about the act or the decision or the fact. You not only feel guilt for the mistake, but making the mistake only proves that you're a terrible person, and that's shame. 
There are many sources of shame that you may carry that aren't yours and were never yours, and yet you absorb them, and you feel definitely and without doubt that they are yours. Sorting this out is often a huge part of therapy, especially with depression and anxiety. Because shame can be thrust on you as a child, and without knowing it, you walk around feeling inferior. I found a great article on how families can instill shame in medium. It was written by Doran Lamb. Let's see if you heard any of these in your home. I don't love you when you do that. We don't think like that. Don't say that in this house. How could you be so stupid? That didn't happen. You're making up things as usual. You did that purposefully. That's God paying you back. <laughs> if you heard any of these, that's shame. All of these statements are designed to lead you to shame as if you said or done or thought something that only someone who is less than uncaring, selfish, even despicable would say, do, or think. It's a very destructive way to control children, to shame them. And of course, adults do it to one another as well. But sadly and so often, these messages are absorbed as if they're true and you walk out of that childhood or that relationship and you're quite unaware of the damage done because it was your normal, your everyday. So today, we're going to go through 10 different dynamics that could easily have led you into feeling shame about who you are at your very core. But let me also say this quickly. There are lots of ways you can try to detach or hide your shame. So, people who have shame at their core don't look the same to the world. You can keep, for example, your emotions highly controlled and follow strict rules of how you should act, as in what I love to talk about, perfectly hidden depression. You can avoid situations where you'd be the focus of attention, so you're more withdrawn or you take a back seat to others, and that's shame. You can build a wall of resentment toward others and be highly defensive if someone questions or criticizes you, meaning you take things pretty personally. Remember, in all three of these cases, you're hiding a huge sense of inadequacy. So to others, in this last case, you might need to attack before you get hurt more. Underlying shame is at the root of so many struggles in relationships and within yourself. Just think of it for a second. Within shame, there's fear, sadness, anger, confusion, emptiness, all begun when instead of being loved and valued, you were treated poorly, and you believed and you absorbed that there was something innately wrong with you, and that something morphed into the low self-esteem of depression or the fears of anxiety, and it became the belief that you began to unconsciously live by. Before we get to these 10 shaming experiences, please listen to this tremendous offer from Athletic Greens or AG1 for self-work listeners. I literally just drank my glass of very green goodness this morning, and I feel like I've begun my day in the best way I know how. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work. And I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. 
To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now let's go over 10 avenues that can lead you to absorbing a sense of inferiority or shame. Some of them won't surprise you, but I think some definitely will. And even the ones that don't, I hope to have an idea or two that might shed more light on the problem. So here's the first one of 10. You were physically or sexually abused. One of the hardest things about being a therapist, actually, is hearing the level of intentional cruelty that adults can mete out to children or certainly can happen and does happen in abusive adult relationships every day. I'm not going to ever relate those stories to you. They're far too grim. But when you're treated like a thing, an object, when you can never know what to expect, when you're put through demeaning experiences that are meant to break your spirit or to satisfy another person's need for domination, you absorb shame. Children believe things are their fault. It's part of a child's reasoning. Abusers twist reality. Abusers break you by telling you it's your fault that you deserve it. And you knew you had to keep it secret. So you hid bruises. You didn't have relationships with others. Your life was too chaotic. You never had friends over. And what can even be more confusing? Each day you hoped that it might get better. That's something else that those who've been abused shame themselves for. They shame themselves for this hope. How could I have been so stupid? And yet, it's very normal to fantasize about what a good dad or mom or partner might be, and that maybe today will be better. So if you're shaming yourself for having the hope that maybe it would be normal, please give that up. Maybe that's how you survived. The second avenue toward shame is that you were neglected. Neglect is the absence of something So it's at times harder to recognize than actual abuse as shame-inducing, but it is. Neglect isn't the same as being poor or hungry. Very loving parents, parents that are trying very hard to care for their children, can still be dealing with poverty or hunger. Neglect occurs when your needs as a child were willfully ignored by the people who were supposed to take care of you, and you absorb the shame. Maybe if I were more of this or that, then you wouldn't be neglected. Many neglectful parents have addictions that have taken over their lives, but there are also parents who spend more time working or with each other than with their own children. I've worked with several people over the years that say, I'm not sure why my parents even had kids. They spent all their time together and we were left to be cared for by others, or we cared for each other. So what was the message of the neglect? You're not important. And that breeds shame. Here's the third avenue toward shame. You were valued only for what you looked like or achieved. A parent or manipulative partner can engender shame in you because what they value about you is something you do well or what your external life demonstrates. This is a shame that can be hard to recognize, but because aren't we all supposed to be grateful for some talent we innately have or being physically attractive and having a parent or partner who is proud of that? What's wrong with that? Well, there's a lot wrong with it. Because you can easily feel, and justifiably so, that without that skill, 
without that attractiveness, you'd be failing that parent or partner, or you might even not be loved. Their love for or attention to you would vanish. You can feel that your worth lies in that talent, that attractiveness, that intelligence, whatever it is, but only that, and that can lead to shame. Here's the fourth avenue. Now, this one may surprise you. You were adored or put on a pedestal. You could do no wrong. How could this lead to absorbing shame or having low self-esteem? But think about it. How do we each learn true self-acceptance? Partly we learn it through making mistakes. We learn it through falling down or failing. And when you're told you can do no wrong, that if you have a fight with your friend, it must be their fault, you can grow into someone who thinks they're better than others. If when you goof up, a parent swooshes in and fixes it before you have a chance to take that responsibility on for yourself, what can that lead to? Your lack of experience with acknowledging your own vulnerabilities and faults can cause you to lack true security in yourself, which comes from knowing your own strengths as well as your own weaknesses. So how can you possibly have a sense of what's termed agency, meaning understanding that my own actions and choices lead to certain outcomes, some bad, some good, when you're told you can do no wrong? This kind of parenting can be labeled as spoiling or as helicoptering, but shame can still be absorbed. There's something wrong with me that I have to hide because I'm not perfect. I have done nothing to earn this adoration. And I've not made my own mistakes. I don't have agency. And when you have agency, it means that, yes, you give yourself credit for things you do well, but you also accept the responsibility for what you don't. The rest of these could be put under the rubric of emotional abuse. And there's six more. Here's number five, the avenue toward shame. You were put in charge as a child and didn't have a childhood of your own. How is this a setup for shame? Because children aren't adults, and you were likely to make mistakes or not do things the way the absent parent wanted you to. So here came the criticism. And on an even deeper level, the ache of wanting to be a child, of needing someone to take care of you, had to be buried. And what can get lost and never experienced is the security that one finds in that care. So hiding behind that veneer of, I've got it all covered, there can be a hunger to be cared for. But what's the answer as to why you weren't? I must not have been important. And that's shame. Here's number six. You were pulled into adult conflicts or dynamics that you couldn't fix. What I'm really talking about here is enmeshment, which we've discussed before. But for those of you who might be new to self-work, I'll include the link to the episodes on enmeshment. Basically, one parent pulls a child into an inappropriate relationship with them where the child hears things and knows things about that parent or about the relationship that aren't things children should hear. You're also given the message of how special you are, how happy you make that parent by serving the purpose you do in their life. But you can actually never make that parent truly happy or make their lives better because that's impossible. So, you get the concurrent message of how special you are, but you also feel as if you're constantly failing, and you can't leave until mom or dad is happy, and that never happens. It's a terrible emotional prison to be in, and one where shame is passed out like candy. Why? Because you get the message you're important for what you can do for that parent, but you're a prisoner. Dr. Pat Love called it emotional incest, which is an apt term, I think. 
you're both special, but you feel shame because you can't fix the problem. You can't make your parent happy. Here's a seventh avenue toward shame. What hurt you was invalidated, or you feared rejection if you revealed yourself. When you were bullied and told it didn't matter, there was nothing to do. When you were rejected because of the color of your skin and nothing was said. When you weren't invited by friends because you lived on the wrong side of town or went to the wrong church. When you hid your sexuality or gender identification out of fear of rejection or reprisal. When something that you couldn't control was the reason that you were hurt. That leads to shame. Especially if no one took the time to explain the cultural or familial problems to you that at least might help you understand that your rejection wasn't about you. But if it wasn't explained, if you weren't introduced to another more welcoming environment or culture, then that something's wrong with me stuck. And that can be very, very hard to find an answer to as an adult. Here's number eight. You weren't supposed to want or be or talk or think differently than your parents. If so, something was wrong with you. It's interesting to consider that this kind of prison could exist in many kinds of families and many cultures, conservative, liberal, rural, metropolitan, American, Australian, South African, atheist, Catholic, or Jewish, when inflexible rules must be followed, and inwardly you don't believe in those rules, or again, interestingly, if at first you do, but then you don't, you change, you may have already absorbed shame. What makes you different from us? Or again, you just know you're different And you fall silent. You don't know how to handle it. So you come away with a belief. There's something unlovable about me if I don't think or feel the same way as my culture or my family. Here's a ninth avenue toward shame. When you grew up in a family where nothing ever made sense, either the parenting you received was passive-aggressive, meaning that anger wasn't expressed openly, but you were punished in a more manipulative way. Or, perhaps there were constantly changing definitions of right versus wrong. One day, eating a cookie was fun and just fine. Another day, you were screamed at for doing so. This could be due to having a parent or parents that have emotional dysregulation or some kind of mental illness. It could be about addictions or the whole family system was chaotic, with parents arguing and fighting all the time. You can hopefully see that this environment couldn't possibly create a sense of safety or security. And thus, those internal negative beliefs we talked about at the beginning are well-established. As a child, you don't know things are chaotic. To you, chaos is normal. But you can absorb the shame and feelings of not being good enough. Again, you were a child, and you think things are about you. Here's the last avenue to shame, number 10. When you're compared negatively to others, this can obviously induce a sense of shame. Why can't you be more like your sister? or your brother, or your cousin, or your mom's best friend's kid, or some Disney character who's not even a real human being but an actor playing a role. But you never live up. And so the shame is right there, ripe for the picking, as we'd say. Another scenario like this one, but slightly different, is that if a parent withholds approval or support. Sometimes this can be in the name of, we don't want to spoil you or make you feel better than the other kids. But instead of the goal of rearing children who believe in themselves, That lack of approval and support can lead to children who are left confused about true self-esteem. If I felt like I liked myself, is that the same as being conceited or self-centered? And thus shame can be absorbed to the point where you feel as if you never can ever catch up to what remains out there as your potential. You can see 
that all these avenues to shame are very different, all are very painful. And if perhaps you found yourself in one of them, the first helpful thing is to be aware. So as usual, I want to talk about the first steps toward addressing these sources of shame. And those steps are compassion and acknowledgement. How many times have I asked someone, if I were telling you that your life had happened to me, would you look at me and say, hey, get over it? Probably not. When you see or hear someone else's hurt or injury, you're far more likely to try to understand, to give comfort, to support them in trying to work through their hurt, confusion, anger, or sadness, but not your own. That's where compassion and acknowledgement come in. You have to think of that child, or in the case of being in an abusive adult relationship, even you as an adult, and look back on yourself with self-compassion, kindness, and grace. But secondly, the goal is not to go back and blame. That really doesn't do any good. But to acknowledge, to realize and let yourself see as objectively as possible the hurtful circumstances that existed And to realize, to acknowledge that those hurts had an impact on you that caused you to feel ashamed that perhaps you've never quite realized that shame's depth. When you do, that's not blaming or being a victim. In my book, that's seeing things clearly and kindly. And in so doing, you can begin to move on and to work through. Compassion, self-compassion, and acknowledgement. Those are the steps of what you can do about it. It's a wonderful gift to give yourself. And I hope you do. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Here's our listener voicemail for today. Hi, Margaret, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. I took some real deep breaths before starting this. My name is Rob, and I was diagnosed with bipolar in 1997, which in time was changed to bipolar 2. And I'm now told that it's borderline personality disorder since 2017. I've had a serious nervous breakdown in 2012, which took me a lot of slow time to get over. Being alone and with professional support, I developed a drinking habit, which I've not completely conquered, although these days I don't regularly do it. However, it is creeping back into my life. I've become a hermit over the years, and nowadays I'm living a very sedentary lifestyle while learning a lot online, pursuing creativity. I have opportunities in the real world which could potentially get me employment in the long term, but when I try and commit to these things, in dealing with people I find really difficult at times. Someone might do or say something, the smallest thing, and I take great offence, and then my thought pattern changes, where I'll build a distinct dislike into that person, and I end up self-sabotaging and losing my way. I call it getting off the roundabout. I believe I have underlying anger and sadness and have learned to suppress these feelings and I don't know how to deal with things apart from bottling things up. I feel lost and alone even though I have some good friends and family who I just cannot open up to because I'm scared to. I was struck by several things about this man's plight and request. First, with three different diagnoses, I wondered which one of them actually fit his own experience of himself. Did he feel like he was bipolar 1 or 2, or did he feel like he had borderline personality disorder? Or did the diagnoses actually tend to confuse things? He'd had what he terms a breakdown 10 years ago, and that sounds as if that led him into more isolation. And now, he has an opportunity for a professional job that would make a tremendous difference in his life, in his creativity. But he's way out of practice, perhaps, or has never learned how to not take things overly personally. And he reacts rather than responds when he feels attacked or he perceives something as critical. 
So here's my message to him. I immediately thought about last week's podcast on DBT, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, and I want to give you and all self-work listeners the same BetterHelp link that I used in that podcast where they talk about a certification direct to give therapists that are trained and certified by Marsha Linehan herself, creator of DBT. So the link is in your show notes. It was a little unclear to me if BetterHelp actually has DBT therapists, but that would be worth checking out. So actually, DBT may just be the thing that could help you, since its primary goal is to help you learn how not to respond emotionally, but more rationally to the world around you. It's very much based on practice, and there are lots of workbooks out there. Another suggestion is that somehow you begin to reach out to others. For if you've been a hermit, then you haven't been practicing even the most everyday things that help all of us get along with others. Maybe you can practice some of these DBT skills on those friends and family you mention because they would recognize that you're struggling and want to help you. Then slowly move into interactions with others. DBT takes a lot of practice, but there are DBT therapists all over the world that can help you. And in fact, part of their philosophy is that they stay in touch with you when you need them. They are available 24-7 practically, and I'm sure many do virtual work. I want to remind you that there are many people with bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder that are out in the world functioning. It simply sounds as if you need some guidance and practice. Thank you for reaching out to me. I'm very honored. That's a first step. Taking those deep breaths must have helped because I got a clear picture of who and where you are. Take good care and good luck. Thank you all for being here today. It's really an honor to have you here. Thank you to those who are leaving ratings and reviews on Amazon for my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. It just keeps on keeping on, and it means so much to me that you're showing other people that you've read the book and it was meaningful for you. And also, I appreciate any ratings or reviews left on Apple Podcasts because that's the way that self-work gets listed as one of the best podcasts is because you have left a review or a rating. It's numbers that count, guys. <laughs> how I try to show you how grateful I am is to give these podcasts my best effort and keeping them coming every week. You can reach out to me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com, and I'd love to hear from you. So thank you for being here. Please take very good care in these very strange times. Know that when you afford other people kindness and understanding, you're much more likely to get it back. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.